don't do wrong by other people. Don't steal, don't hurt people, don't lie, don't cheat. If everybody lived that way, the world would be a better place and it would be easier to live life and to be successful. We're here with Jane Saunders from thewomandeveloper.com. She's also a co-author with Pat Masidi in the book, Inspired Miracles. And Jane specializes in land subdivisions, large and small. She has an interest in off-grid construction practices. She is a maverick property developer. And she has a really fun and interesting story about how she has done all kinds of amazing things in property development, getting into it and battling that difficulty of being a woman in a male-dominated industry. So we'll hear all about Jane and her story and her uniqueness and her specialty. So Jane, glad to be talking to you. Glad to be here. All right. So what is your focus? I know we listed a lot of things, but like out of all the things that, that you currently do in your business to make money, to change lives, what has you really excited and energized? At the moment, the the housing crisis in Australia, because currently we're looking forward to in the next eighteen months to having around about six hundred thousand legal immigrants brought in by the government, which is three times normal. The, the average for the last twenty years, or, or it's been increasing slowly, but definitely for the last ten years, it's been tw uh, two hundred thousand a year. And that's all based on skilled migrants. So what the government have done, because there was no migration, supposedly, during COVID, they've said, look, hey, we've got a couple of years to catch up on and let's bring them all in the next 18 months. What that's done in Australia is we have an average housing deficit of around about 35,000 per year. So there's usually 35,000 more people needing houses or more residences needed than there is residences becoming available. What's going to happen in 18 months time is there's going to be a deficit of around about 560,000 houses, which is ridiculous. I don't, people are going to be living in tents in parks and it's going to massively change the housing status in Australia. And the government haven't prepared for that. Private landlords haven't. Um, everybody is scrambling at the moment to try and subdivide or build extra houses, build granny flats, make their houses into rooming accommodation, very much like the Europeans do. But we're not ready for it. They've dumped it on us without any announcement and everybody's scrambling. So for me, that means great opportunities for people who own land no matter how large or small that might be, because the amount of development that's going to be required, even if it's only on paper. So many businesses, builders and developers went bust during COVID and immediately after, because of course we then had wildfires in the East Coast and then followed immediately by floods, absolutely decimated the building industry with production, steel production, timber availability, and also washed out a lot of the train lines we're here in WA, we're seven hours flying time away from the East Coast. So the building industry where I am in WA was, has been decimated. Anybody that signed contracts is two years behind. So it's exciting and scary at the same time. The possibilities are there, but the logistics are going to be really difficult. So there are people popping up everywhere 
saying they can do subdivisions and they can do this, but the, it's difficult to follow it up. Because I've got the interest in off-grid, they call it off-grid living, but it's alternative structural construction, which isn't alternative at all. It's going back two, 300, 600 years. Because I've got that interest and those connections, I'm able to work more with people that aren't in the metro areas. There's a growing interest there. And yeah, like I said, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of potential, but also brings with it a whole pile of potential problems. Does that make sense? It does. And when, whenever I, I speak to a real estate person, there's never just one problem they're dealing with, right? There, there's 10, 20, 50, 100 problems. And it seems like there are two choices in front of us, either get overwhelmed by the problems and completely give up or look at it and say, okay, there, there needs to be some kind of a strategy here. There are probably others who wish they could do this, but they're more on the amateur level and they, they can't handle the pressure. And so, like you said a, a few times there, that problems are opportunities to be yeah. solved. And so it seems like, as you also said, an exciting but also scary time for property developers and for someone like you. And so you mentioned there that you have like the, the specialty, right? You have this focus on uh, this thing called off-grid construction. And as a layperson, when I hear off-grid construction, what comes to mind is like a solar panel set up and water and things like that. So when someone, when you mention off-grid construction, what's that and what, how does it differ from the other sorts of construction? In Australia, we've got two kinds of housing. On the East Coast, they build what I call temporary housing, which is steel frame, plasterboard walls, and then maybe some kind of siding on the outside. If you kick it hard enough, you can kick through both layers. That's, that to me isn't a real house. In WA, we build double brick, so it's solid. It's not going to blow away in the wind. It's not going to burn down in a fire, and it's not going to float away if there's a flood, like we see all the time. But WA is so big, it's about half the size of Australia, so it, it encompasses a physical area equal to about half the geophysical size of the USA because Australia and the USA are, are pretty much identical sizes, land masses. So if you cut the USA in half and that is one state but that is my state WA it can take two hours to fly actually it's three and a half to fly from where I am about one quarter up to the top end so a lot of people the majority of people don't live in the metro area our metro area is very small it's probably 200 kilometers from top to bottom and 100 kilometers each side and so off-grid is anything not in the metro area that is not normal construction. So I'm thinking about, like you would say, ship constructions, the houses that are built out of recycled tires. Then you've got straw bale, hemp bale. We're very fortunate in WA that we've got a company who makes building blocks out of hemp. And that's a lot more viable than straw bale. Then there's also the, obviously, the mud brick. There's all sorts of ways you can you can construct off-grid homes, non-standard. The one that I'm particularly interested in is very much timber hut. Your the log cabins that, that you guys are quite fond of over there in the mountains. There's another 
type of construction, particularly traditional in Canada, where instead of having the logs go the whole length of the outside, you cut the, the logs into, say, 300 mils, 12-inch lengths and stack them. And that is very solid and it's a lot more thermal. It's got better thermal properties than a traditional log cabin. It's easier to do. So that's all the kind of things that I'm particularly interested in from a personal point of view. And I'm actually trying to work with architects and engineers and building standards people to create standards for these building types because there are no standards. And unfortunately, council workers who, God bless them, are just box tickers in this country anyway, if they can't tick a box, they can't approve what you want to build. Yeah, that's a personal joy, if you like, of mine, because it's new, but it's not new. It's very old, but reviving traditional techniques. We've just got to educate professional people about it so that they can create some boxes and people can go out and, and live off grid. So you're right with the bore water or rainwater, or you'd say, or we say bore water, but a lot of the bore water out in the country is, it's not good. A lot of it, because we have so much mining and farming has basically raised the land and a lot of the country is very salty because they've cut away all the trees. It's created a very high salt level in the land and it's basically raped the land and made it unusable. So the drinking water is no good. You have to collect the rainwater. And solar, yeah, you're right. So it's not as if we're short on solar here. The sun shines over 300 days a year in Australia, whereas obviously I'm from England and our summer was three nice days in June, whereas we're the opposite here in WA is that we have about a couple of weeks in June and July where it's really crappy weather. The rest of the time, you're guaranteed at least six hours of sunshine. Did that answer your question or did it go off on a tangent? <laughs> I it, tend it to did, do that. It did. That, that was great. It gave me a, a little mini education and you're you're <laughs> tapping into something where at least where where I live, my wife and I laugh at a lot of the cheap houses that are being built. Any place that there's a patch of land and they can cram in houses. And boy, these days they cram them them so together. And I'm, I was even yeah. this morning walking and I saw there was like the, the fence and the house. And it was like you, you could barely fit your arm through that. So that they, they pack them together and they look cheaply made. And at least here. There's the sort of farm look where it's this white house with a black trim and they all look the same and they all just look cheaply made even from the outside. And, and it feels like maybe between 1990 till the present day, they just started really cutting costs. And it seemed and the, so it seems like we're stuck in this problem of anything that is 30 years or newer is just paper thin walls and just kind of things swished together and things falling apart, made as cheaply as possible, cheap materials, not very well constructed, just not meant to last. And then when you look at the older houses, those are maybe a little more went to last, but they're decades old, they're falling apart. So I can definitely see the need as you're speaking about of having this new, but also old. It's uh, but, but because back then they didn't expect to have to keep building new houses every 10, 20 years when the wildfires and the floods and who knows what uh, messed them up. Uh, but so I, I can see how now there's all this past 
past techniques and past research to examine and modernize it for the current age and establish these standards. And so it's very interesting to hear about, especially how it seems like you're looking at the possibilities. And as you said, you call it alternatives, but it's like the way that that it should have not gotten away from. And so it's interesting to think about, and it's just like one problem after another to solve. And what's and so that's cool to get some information and some facts. And what's also great to hear about from someone like you, it are the challenges that you've overcome, the overcoming adversity. And I'm sure that you've had some sort of disasters with with the deals or with the construction. I mean, I can only imagine how many moving parts. So do you have a fun sort of story to share with us that? kind of shows us what you're all about, where you had some kind of conflict, had some sort of stress, and you came through. What comes to mind as far as a fun story? Oh, I tend to forget the, the problems because I always fix them and overcome them so that they become insignificant. There is one story that I do tell because it was the probably the first big conflict, if you like, a long time ago when I was in my kind of mid-20s, early, I think it was about 23, 24 maybe, back when I still lived in England. And at the time I was married and we had a construction company. So we were doing some work on the old Liverpool Cathedral site and we were doing the sub-levels to create the multi-storey car park that is there now. And we were obviously, we were a subcontractor and it wasn't actually my site. It was a, a site that my husband was managing. I had two different sites and he had two others so there was five at the time but I got a phone call and this is in the very early days of mobile phones we were quite techy at the time so there was at the time there was only I think about eight or ten mobile phones in Liverpool because they hadn't been out very long and I had one of them and that was the old days when it was a car battery with a shoulder strap and a dial phone and a handset with a curly wire and you had to carry this bloody thing everywhere. It was awful. Um, it, it, it's like in being in, in Vietnam, calling in a bomb strike or something, right? Yeah, exactly. But having said that, it was awful because it was heavy. But everybody knew you had a mobile phone, and it was the it was the best thing. Anyway, I got this phone call, and from the the bricklayers that were on site, and they said, "Oh, we've we're down in tools. You need to get here. There's a big issue." And anyway, so I got up to site. And I went into the site office and the we were a subcontractor. So the head contractor, the contracts manager was there. He was in a suit. I don't know why he was in a suit on a building site anyway. His, oh, this is really, there's some issue with the bricks and I don't like it. And they've got to change it. So I got him to show me. And essentially, the concrete hadn't gone in correctly. So it out of level. Not that it was not flat, but the the height differences where it was stepped up because it was on a, a bend, it was on a curve and a hill at the same time. So you've got a curved wall, which is also on a hill. So you have to drop levels every so often so that you can get bricks in. If you don't know the building industry, I'm probably talking gobbledygook. But anyway, the levels were all out of whack. So the brickies had to cut the bricks to get the levels right he didn't like the look of it and it, it looked pretty ordinary to be honest I was trying to explain to him that all of these were sub levels so they were going to be 
covered up anyway, and he couldn't get a grip of it anyway. And this guy was in his mid-40s, mid to late 40s, been a contracts manager for ages, and he had come from a big supermarket chain. He'd only been in this job for about two or three months. It, anyway, it devolved, and I was getting more frustrated because I couldn't, he wasn't getting a grip of the fact that you couldn't see it. It didn't matter. It's what had to be done other than rip all the concrete out. So it devolved into a shouting match and I ended up giving him a big mouthful and storming out. And unbeknown to me at the time, all the boys were on tea break. All the other boys from the other contractors doing other jobs were all on tea break. And I walked out of there and, and I, there was this round of applause and I just went, oh no. Everybody heard every word. And I thought, that's it. We've lost the contract. We're going we're gonna to go down the gurgler. I got a phone call in the afternoon to say, come and see the, the big boss. And the, the, the outcome of that was, my final words to him were, you need to go back to Asda and count peas because you're as much use as a fart in a wet paper bag on a building site. And what happened was the big boss said, you can't speak to him like that. He's the contracts manager actually deal with me for the next few weeks while we find a new contracts manager because he's resigned. Because I stood up for myself, because I knew what I was talking about and he couldn't overpower me. Uh, he's obviously used to being this big macho guy telling young 20-year-old girls what to do. Wouldn't accept that he didn't know anything about this industry and somebody half his age knew more. It, yeah, snuck off with his tail between his legs from the building industry anyway. He's probably really good at his job, just not in the building industry because it anyway so that's a story that I tell which was the first time that I stood up for myself and made it blatantly obvious that I did know what I was talking about even though I was a girl even though I was such a young girl and that yeah that kind of followed me all my life although there were times when I forgot about that but that's the story that I usually tell because it has a big impact on other people to stand up for themselves and to not just for themselves, but to stand up for their industry and for what they know. It doesn't matter who you are or what sex you are. It's all about how much and if you can do the job. Everything else doesn't matter. If you can do the job, you should do the job. Wonderful. And what a, a great lesson in so many ways of how important it is to know your stuff and that way, when it when you have those moments when you really need to stand up for something, then you you have the confidence in order to do it. And just in being dynamic, because it seems like that man with wearing the suit to the construction site and not understanding, but still being stubborn about it and just still being loud and being used to bullying to get his way. You can't be that one trick pony, always bullying this and bullying that. After a while, it will stop working. And so there's times when you have to use the different tools in the toolbox. So that's very helpful because I think that, and also just in having that kind of memory, that story in your back pocket, because there are those times when you need to have the courage, we need to stand up. And then sometimes you think you can't, you think you can't be brave, but you think that, oh, that one time when I stood up to that guy and, and people supported me and they applauded and it worked out, then you can say the present conflict is not so scary and not as bad as I currently think that it is. And so we, we've heard a lot about you. We've got some information, got some motivation. Would you say 
is there a secret to your success or is there just some kind of principle that you live by that really sticks out for you that is maybe not done enough? Does anything come to mind in that department? One principle I live by is to, and do you mean at work or do you mean just in life? Either way, whatever comes to mind. One of my principles that I've had for as long as I can remember is if some somebody's doing something wrong, speak up, do something about it and stand up for what you believe in. Don't bend just because everybody else is. Because if you're right and everybody else is wrong, then the tide will turn and people will come back to you for advice, for to look up to you. Not so much the hero worship. I'm not, it's not because of that. It's just because we have a set of principles. Don't do wrong by other people. Don't steal. Don't hurt people. Don't lie. Don't cheat. And if everybody lived that way, the world would be a better place and it would be easier to live life and to be successful. It just seems that in this, in this commercialized world in which we live in, the majority of people or, or big businesses, certainly, and, and government are there to stick their hand in every orifice and pocket that you've got to see what's in there and to take from you what they can without giving anything. And I think you should give first and take later. Farmers give their time. They give money to buy seeds. They love those seeds. They grow them. And only when the growing is finished do they reap the benefits. So you must always give or sow before you reap. And I think anybody that, that takes first is a very small and very sad person or business. They call that delayed gratification. And to do the, yes. the short-term sacrifices now for the long-term benefits later and not being so short-sighted and to stand up for what is right, especially when you see an injustice happening. So what a wonderful message. And if someone out there in the internet world says, Jane Saunders, I need to know more about her. I need to contact her. I need to know how she can help me and my business. How can someone do that? And how can you help? I'm have got the, from the build, building and developing side, you can go to thewomandeveloper.com for, or if you want to contact me for anything other than that, then you can email me jane at thewomandeveloper.com or for anything else, it's just client at thewomandeveloper.com. There's also the Facebook page, the woman developer and the socials are just being all changed. So I've lost track of that, but they're the two that you'll definitely find me on. Okay. The woman developer, Jane, that's J-A-Y-N-E at thewomandeveloper.com yes. and client at thewomandeveloper.com and then the website, thewomandeveloper.com. And I imagine that uh, once the website is up and running, then you'll just have links to those social accounts. So that yes. may be the, the hub, the central place to go anyway. Yes, that's right. Super great. It's been wonderful talking to you, Jane, to uh, get an insight into your uniqueness and what you're really passionate about and what you really do with the property development, with the off-grid construction, and with the uh, standing up and being a good person and just me meaning something in the world. So I really appreciate that, and I appreciate you. Thanks for your time, Robert. Nice Thank to you. be here. Very nice right. to have you.